Hello, historians. Welcome back. I'm your host, Teresh Shimkus, here with your Daily Slice of History. For today's slice, we are once again going to be talking about early American history, which is a subject I personally rarely tire of, so let's get into it. On this day in 1796, the farewell address of our first president, George Washington, was published in Claypool's American Daily Advisor. Now, as I am sure many of you know, United States presidents are only allowed to serve two terms in office. What you may not know is that that was not always the case, as it was only in 1951 that the 27th Amendment was ratified, limiting the United States president to only two terms. Up to that point, serving only two terms had been a tradition based on a precedent set by Washington himself, broken only by President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who served a record four terms in office. Anyways, back to Washington. His decision to leave the presidency was motivated by political attacks from his enemies, his age, and the fact that he had spent so much of his life in public service. At the ripe old age of 64, although he was a spring chicken compared to many of our politicians on both sides today, he was determined to retire, having seen the country set on solid footing. While Washington viewed the country as stable, many feared that his retirement would destabilize the political order. This was part of the logic behind the farewell address, as Washington hoped it would give hope and encouragement to any who were concerned about the future of the nation. To write this important address, Washington turned to his longtime aide and secretary of the Treasury, the young, scrappy, and hungry Alexander Hamilton. And yes, I just made a Hamilton joke. This was actually not the first time that Washington had requested someone to write a farewell address for him. At the end of his first term, he had planned to leave office and had asked James Madison to write his farewell address for him. But once he decided to serve a second term, the address was stashed away in a drawer. Hamilton now had his choice of either revising Madison's address or starting from scratch. Rather unsurprisingly, in my opinion, he chose to write the speech from scratch, only borrowing a few paragraphs from Madison's original draft. Washington worked closely with Hamilton on this speech, with the two sending drafts and edits back and forth using personal couriers rather than the mail, which they suspected of being monitored. As you might imagine, the real authorship of the speech was a well-kept secret for many years, as the knowledge of a secret writer would have greatly decreased Washington's standing. Once the speech was published, Washington boarded his coach and returned home to Mount Vernon for a well-deserved rest, and let his farewell address speak for itself. I am very tempted to read the farewell address in its entirety, but it is so long that I cannot justify it, and none of the abridged versions I looked at would have done it justice. To work around this, I will instead read a few paragraphs that I think demonstrate Washington's noble character and his profound love for his country, although I would encourage you to read the address in full for yourself. Now here are some of the passages that I selected. Quote, in offering to you, my countrymen, these counsels of an old and affectionate friend, I dare not hope they will make the strong and lasting impression I could wish, that they will control the usual current of the passions or prevent our nation from running the course which has hitherto marked the destiny of nations. But, if I may even flatter myself that they may be productive of some partial benefit, some occasional good, that they may now and then recur to moderate the fury of party spirit, to warn against the mischiefs of foreign intrigue, to guard against the impostors of pretended patriotism, this hope will be a full recompense for the solicitude for your welfare by which they have been dictated. How far in the discharge of my official duties I have been guided by the principles which have been delineated, the public records and other evidences of my conduct must witness to you and to the world. To myself, the assurance of my own conscience is that I have at least believed myself to be guided by them. Though, in reviewing the incidences of my administration, I am unconscious of intentional error. I am nevertheless too sensible of my defects not to think it probable that I may have committed some errors. Whatever they may be, I fervently beseech the Almighty to avert or mitigate the evils to which they may tend. I shall also carry with me the hope that my country will never cease to view them with indulgence, and that, after forty-five years of my life dedicated to its service with an upright seal, the faults of incompetent abilities will be consigned to oblivion, as myself must soon be to the mansions of rest. 
relying on its kindness in this as in other things, and actuated by that fervent love towards it, which is so natural to a man who views it in the native soil of himself and his progenitors for several generations, I anticipate with pleasing expectation that retreat in which I promise myself to realize, without alloy, the sweet enjoyment of partaking, in the midst of my fellow citizens, the benign influence of good laws under a free government, the ever-favorite object of my heart, and the happy reward, as I trust, of our mutual cares, labors, and dangers." Unquote. I apologize for the length of these selected passages, but I hope you ultimately enjoyed them, as I know I did. And with that, thank you for listening, historians. Have a great day, and I'll see you on Thursday.